Welcome into the latest episode of the Think Deeper podcast. I am not your host, Jack Wilkie, uh, in case you haven't noticed yet. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Will Harib. I'm here with Jack Wilkie and Joe Wilkie. Uh, we are about to get things started with uh, this week's topic. But before we do, wanted to ask you two gentlemen, uh, for anybody that, that hopefully listened to the first two episodes that came out this year, we were discussing uh, the idea of goals, the idea of kind of New Year's resolutions, seeking to improve ourselves uh, both physically and spiritually. And at the end of those, at the end of the second episode specifically, we just kind of went through and, and mentioned some goals that we have, some things that we're working on. So I wanted to ask you guys before we get into our topic today, how are those goals coming for our audience? Uh, refresh briefly, refresh their memory on what those goals are and, and how you're doing so far. Uh, it's getting there for me. Uh, one of my big ones I highlighted was I wanted to follow Daniel's example in prayer, morning, noon, and night, three times a day. Um, that midday one is so hard, and on paper it sounds so easy, and uh, it's one of those things where it's like, how am I not getting that done? But in today's world, one of the hardest things you can do is just stop. Stop, you know, put your work down, put your social media down, put your things that you have to do down and, and do that. And and so I'm building that habit, but it's it's taking some time. And uh, I, it's one I really encourage everyone to do because there's so many more things you can pray about when you get those extra ones in. You can make the morning prayer about one thing, the midday prayer about something else and at night. And, and so um, it it's it's coming along, but it's taken a while to build a habit. I got to be honest, it's going pretty well this year. I'm uh, a little shocked. I had COVID at the beginning that obviously um, when you're laying in bed or just feel like garbage, it doesn't help as much, but at the same time, um, yeah, it's, it's going well. The prayer has gone well. My uh, mother-in-law for Christmas got me one of those daily Kairos prayer journals and that's really helped. So my wife and I have been waking up early and doing that together. We do our Bible study and um, so that's been going well. And then as far as the working out, uh, it could be, could be better, but um, I'm still, I uh, had a pretty good week last week and we're starting to roll on that and get into a rhythm. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy with how the week or how the year so far first, you know, month plus is, is progressing. So Will, how about you? Uh, first of all, well done, gentlemen. That's awesome. Um, for me, it's, it's fairly well. I'd give it 75 to 80% going well. Um, my goal is, is six days a week, Monday through Saturday, um, 30 minutes of exercise and then uh, Bible study for at least an hour every day. Um, and I'm averaging out to about missing one day a week, you know, which is not great. I'd of course rather be hitting uh, all six days, but, but five days is pretty um, good. Yeah. yeah. Starting off. Yeah. So I'm, I'm pr- fairly happy with it. Obviously still leaves me room for improvement. We're only here at the end of January. Um, so going, going pretty well, going pretty well, but yeah. uh, well, and if you're uh, listening along, you know, you, these these goals don't take root overnight. That's something my wife and I were talking about recently was you get in that habit of, well, I, I got this far. I, I didn't get there. I guess I'll give up. If you're in like a daily, daily Bible reading plan or, yeah. or just any spiritual goal that you might have, uh, you know, our listeners, we, we hope some of you maybe took some of that up that we talked about. Okay, you, you've missed days on your Bible reading plan. Get up tomorrow don't and read. Quit. Yeah, yeah, don't quit. Uh, yeah. You're you're closer to building a habit than you were on January first, and that's the ideal. Yeah, my, wor- my exactly. working out hasn't been perfect, but you know what? You take it a day at a time. Try to establish those rhythms. I found, as a quick side note, and I don't know that we got too much into this um, briefly because this is not what today's topic is about. But 
rhythms really do help. It's not necessarily about at 7.30 in the morning, I'm going to do this. It's more, hey, I get my coffee in the morning. I do my workout. I do my prayer. And then after that, I know that it's time. I, I put my workout shoes on. I know that it's time for workout. That may happen at 9 a.m. That may happen at 7 a.m. It may happen, you know, whenever that is, it's it's more of a rhythm. It's less the of a timing. The, same. Just, sure. the yeah. pattern is the same. And that has helped me. So anyway, just thought I'd well, add There you that. go. There's there's some uh, some tips for you guys. Again, that's what we talked about the first two episodes. And again, here we are at the end of January, you know, kind of a review. And like Jack said, hopefully you guys are, uh, it's always good to, to make sure and set you know, uh, goals to improve yourselves again, whether it be exercise, diet, but obviously more importantly, uh, spiritually, whether it be daily Bible reading, daily prayer and uh, whatnot. So very well done, gentlemen. Uh, Let's go ahead and get to our topic for today. Jack, why don't you go ahead and give us an introduction into what we're going to be discussing today? Uh, Our topic this week is an interesting one. Uh, I I hope so. I I hope we always pick interesting topics, but this is a very hot topic. Uh, One that has had a lot of buzz. I wrote on it at focuspress.org recently. You can go check out the article. It's the topic of Christian nationalism. Christian nationalism. Uh, It's a phrase that you hear more and more all the time. And if you search it, there's all kinds of articles. I mean, it's not just something discussed in churches it's time magazine has articles on it nbc has articles on it. npr you know all the major news networks about the threat of christian nationalism or or the evil the danger of christian nationalism and so i you know was uh, in reading about it and, and listening to things about it, i thought okay well let's dig into this what is the issue with it and so uh, i know you guys have been reading on it um Let's talk about why we're talking about this, I guess, what we'll start with. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, Jack, as I know you just wrote an article about it, but at least from my perspective, when reading articles, seeing headlines or or whatnot about it, it seems like it's one of those things that no matter what article you read, it mostly has a bad connotation, that phrase, Christian nationalism. Yeah. There's not a lot of, you know, articles where it's like, okay, well, let's look at the good and the bad or, well, here's the, here's the pros, here's the cons. It's mostly all bad if you, if you read these articles. Again, at least that's what, that's what the articles seem to indicate. It's one of those things that no matter who you read, it's got bad connotations. And as somebody who tries to typically challenge traditional thinking, for me, whenever there's something that it's like, okay, everybody is saying this is bad or everybody is saying this is good. My tendency is to go, okay, well, maybe we need to look into that a little further if everybody's saying it's bad or everybody's saying it's good. Has that been your reaction for the most part, or at least your the way you've seen it whenever you've looked online and things? I think from this side, looking back, that's a, a good way of putting it, is you can look and go, wow, all of it is, is one-sided. And, and some things, there is only one side to an issue. But on the other hand, people that don't usually agree, agreed that this is bad. And that's always something that's it's kind of interesting. And so you look at that, and I remember the first time reading something that gave a positive light to Christian nationalism was like, wait, can you can you do that? Is there a positive right. side? Is that allowed? Right. Yeah. And so it, it drives you down this rabbit hole. So I think one of the reasons why we want to dig into it right now is we just passed January 6th, the anniversary of, of you know the storming of the Capitol. And it seems to be back in, I don't know if you want to call it the zeitgeist or, or whatever you want to say, but really the public consciousness of the dangers of Christian nationalism. And I guess I'll ask, Jack, you're more of the expert on this, I would say, or at least has, uh, I'm maybe not an expert, <laughs> yeah. but in terms of reading, 
for this, for, for the purpose of this group, you were absolutely the expert. Um, Will and I have read a few articles. You've done extensive reading on this. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt, the idea of expert. But yeah, I hate um, calling him an expert. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I am not <laughs> on that. I'll tell you. Well, that. there's a few other Just things kidding. he's an expert on, but I, you know, I'll keep the comments to myself. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, has it always been this way? Has, has Christian nationalism, because obviously we're seeing it from a very recent part of history that you know christian nationalism is is now just it's equated with hitler it's equated with the riots it's equated with racism it's equated with a lot of different other things and um you know upon reading this it it became very apparent how much they equate it with everything negative which to me is a scary i don't know like you take a, a concept that may have some good may have some bad but when you equate it with nazism it's like oh well i guess it's horrible you know and if you support it then you must support hitler type of thing and that's that's very scary but uh, has christian nationalism always been viewed as a negative or is this a more recent kind of take on this well and jack in, in answering that question uh whenever you answer that question it might be helpful to go ahead and define christian nationalism yeah um, just for the sake of anybody who might be listening to this going i have no idea what they're talking about i don't know what christian national christian nationalism is Please don't tune out. Jack is about to explain what what that means. Right, and that's that's one of the things I get to in the article was, you know, this is in certain circles it is like the hot topic, and and I understand having been on the internet long enough. There's times where the battle is just raging and people are you know just fighting something to the death, and then you get off of the internet and and I go talk to my wife or I go talk to somebody at church. Man, have you seen all this stuff about it? Like, what are you talking about? And, right. and, you know, like Twitter is its own tempest in a teapot kind of thing. Facebook has its own. Uh, the news is its own. If you don't watch the news, sometimes you just don't know what these these terms are. And so you might think, well, what does this have to do with any anything? The thing it has to do about anything is everybody has a position on it, whether you think you do or not. Um, because it's tied to Trumpism, because it's tied to the January 6th thing, uh, because it's tied to right now right-wing politics, um it's what Joe said is it's kind of become this catch-all term uh, of basically any bad politics that mixes religion in it's all Christian nationalism and Christian nationalism is bad so we have to to separate ourselves from all of it and so getting to what it is uh, I gave the Webster's definition in the article um, and it was you know about viewing one's nation as uh, more important or better than others, but also loyalty and, and being proud of one's nation. Uh, and so there's parts of that where you can say, well, loyal to your nation, proud of your nation, okay. Uh, viewing it as better or more important, that could go a bad way, that could go a good way. Um, in that, you know, if you think it's more important in that basically we can do whatever we want, we're chosen by God, um, therefore anything we do is justified, uh, you know, and, and there kind of is that out there. That's not good. Um, and so it's that kind of thinking that leads to people storming the Capitol. It leads to, uh, you know, as uh, the, the, the kind of Christian where you go in on a Sunday, maybe before the 4th of July, and all the songs are about America and patriotism rather than singing about Jesus. That's that kind of, of Christian nationalism. It's not good. The problem is, and as, as Joe kind of got at with the question, that's a pretty recent definition really throughout christian history as far as i can tell and and i you know in in going over this found quotes from aquinas august uh, augustine 
Um, I mean, so we're talking way, way, way back. This is just kind of standard. In fact, it's very new, very postmodern of us, very individualistic of us to get away from the idea of nationalism itself and the idea that the church has a, a duty to, you know, be a, a, a church can support the the good of a nation and uh, the Christians have a, a certain interest to their nation as well. And that and that's something that I was going to bring up too is. You think about the the nationalism as the way in the way in which you just defined it, that being being extremely loyal, proud of your country, but also believing your country is you know greater, better um, than other countries. You apply the word Christian right before it. So you got nationalism and you got Christian nationalism. Again, correct me if I'm wrong, Jack, because you're you're more well read on this subject. But to apply the word Christian right before nationalism to make up the phrase Christian nationalism seems to imply again a lot of different definitions but some people will def- would define it as the belief that america is you know kind of you know we've always heard the phrase a christian nation right mm-hmm. america is a christian nation there are some people that would put their christianity on an equal playing field with their americanism right and that that again is, is one definition i think all of us would probably agree if those are on the same playing field that's not a good thing um but that is one way that people define this idea of Christian nationalism is you've got your Christianity, you've got your Americanism. Those are on the same playing field. You should be working to promote both of those things, again, on an equal playing field. Is that a fair characterization of, of the way some people would push that? Yeah. And, and again, I think we would agree that that a lot of times what is being discussed or at least being pushed forward as kind of the face of Christian nationalism is not good. Uh, is, you know, equating the success of America with the success of Christianity. And, you know, basically we need to further America because that furthers Rather than furthering the gospel. Yeah, right. and if America falls apart, then the church falls apart. We don't believe that, you know, and, and that's true. And, of course, you know, we're, we're not advocates for turning Sunday worship into a flag-waving rally. We're not yeah. advocates for right. storming the Capitol. You know, we're, and so all of that we would agree with. Um the problem is you kind of go to the other side of the spectrum, which is Christians have no identity in their nation. Christians have no connection, no no people, no place, nothing like that. Um, and and honestly, the the opposite of Christian nationalism isn't some neutrality. That's usually how these things get painted of, oh, I don't do that. I'm, I'm neutral. There's no neutral. Everybody believes something. The opposite is usually Christian globalism or even Christian imperialism. Um and and can you so, define those? Okay, so nationalism, like economically, is we're going to keep our business here. We don't want to ship jobs overseas. We want to sure. you know make a country where for the for the people here, um, you know, to to have jobs, to be able to work, to not bring in cheaper labor as competition for them. You know, you always hear that they're stealing our jobs. Well, they might not be stealing your jobs, but they might be providing a competitive lower wage you know there there is a lot of things around that to to be discussed and so uh the other side of that the globalism and what you see with a lot of christians is basically we're citizens of the world we have to do good to all people we can't prioritize people of one nation over another uh and so you know love your neighbor means love your next door neighbor as much as it means love the guy across the world yes but politically, sometimes those interests clash, right? Sometimes, you know, helping the person across the world or bring, you know, bringing in, you know, 
things like that. Uh, you know, it, the the immigration, I guess, uh, discussion might hurt your na- next door neighbor. Might you know uh, lower wages or whatever else. And and I mean, this is something that. It sounds difficult because the easy answer, the the emotional answer, is is always the one that we're drawn to, right? Let's just sure. help everybody all the time, right? But you can't do that. There are real life costs to things like that, and so it's analyzing these things and saying, you know what? And this is, as I said, Christian history has this view of you do have a, a, a basically, you know, when you drop a rock in a pond and there's the ripples that go out, you have ripples, rings of loyalty or duty, right? You have duty to your church family first, to your physical family second, but then also to your immediate local neighbor first. It's a lot easier to love your neighbor across the world who you don't know as a nameless, faceless person than it is to love your neighbor who lives next door to you. And Mm -hmm. so, again, Christian history holds love your neighbor next door. You you do have a duty to your countryman. You do have, you know, something to him. You you share something with each other and you shouldn't deny that. And and I think that's one of the things that it comes down to. There's this form of study, this corner of theology called two kingdom theology. Um there's the the spiritual kingdom and and the earthly kingdom and the the church exists in both of them. And so it has different duties to both of them. As a church, we have our duty first to God, but then we have duties to the the you know, spirit, the the earthly, render to Caesar, unto Caesar's, you know, all of those things. Sure. The other view of it is not that the church is in uh, a foot in both worlds. It's that the church is a solely spiritual kingdom. Governments are a solely earthly kingdom, and the two don't mix at all. And I think you know, like Christian anarchism, uh, David Lipscomb, um, that's kind of this idea that, that basically. The church and the governments will always be at war with each other, and that so to be a Christian nationalism is basically to cross lines in the war. You're mixing your side. You're you're trying to ally with your enemy, and I think that's why some people view it as so objectionable. Hmm. There's a lot to take in there. That's, yeah, I kind of went went through a lot of it real quick. No, that's okay. That's okay. It's good because you're defining terms like the globalism. I. I was thinking as you said that I wonder how much has changed in the fact that we now can know our neighbors across the across the sea, you know. Right. Like back then, yes, you worried about your neighbor. It was it was a very localized approach because what were your options? Like, you know, maybe yeah. you maybe you, you send communicate a, with anybody across exactly. the Exactly. Right. So you think about your local community, you think about shopping local and everything else. Well now so much has changed and and yeah, we have the ability to kind of either visit or or see through things like zoom or get on the phone or write letters or whatever else to people across the world and on the one hand i think that's really good i think it is good to be thinking about the church as a as a kind of a i mean the church is huge and and there's so many blessings to knowing that there are people across the world worshiping every sunday that believe like us that we're going to see in heaven and that's a fantastic thing but i also wonder if it does kind of take away from as you talked about the getting to know your actual neighbor across the street where we're so focused on kind of the, the bigger picture of things that we don't, well, it's, it's also the same of us church hopping. You know, we don't keep things local. Like we will, I, I don't know. And maybe I'm getting off topic there, but I think the way we view church, the way we prioritize things, the way we prioritize each other and the way we prioritize God has kind of changed 
based on our availability to to other places well, in the world. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. And you, to go off both of those points that y'all both made to what's easier. Is it easier to say, well, everybody's my neighbor. I have to love the person, you know, thousands of miles away, just as much as I love my person, the person next door. If you pay attention to the people who normally say that, typically this is a generalization, but typically if that's kind of the fallback, those people aren't really doing anything to love their neighbor on either side. It's a lot harder to realize I've got people next door. I've got people in my community. Let me go talk to them. Let me go form a relationship with them. Let me go uh, spread, do, do my best to spread the gospel to them. That's very difficult to do. That requires getting out of our comfort zone. That requires um, us, again, maybe doing things that we're not comfortable with as opposed to just, well, we have to love everybody and therefore using that as an excuse or justification to not really put ourselves out there in the community. Does that make sense? Yeah, because- I think some of what Joe is getting at is, as well. I said earlier about individualism. It's a very recent thing because up until very recently, we identified ourselves with our, our, our nation, our people. And that's an okay thing. You know, I, I had somebody comment in response, God doesn't care if you're this, that, or the, you know, in Galatians 3, uh, you know, that there is neither male nor female, nor slave nor free, nor Greek, nor, you know, and that whole list that he goes through. And that's true, but this is part of the two kingdom theology. In the church, you know, they're, they're in the spiritual, and your, your value before God is not different. On the other hand, we have the book of Philemon, and what does that show us? Shows us still a slave and a master, and they still had to work out that relationship. Paul didn't tell them, you're not a slave, you're not a master anymore. Uh, you know, he, he writes in, in 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Corinthians about women and their roles in the church. He didn't say, there's no men, there's no women. We're all, everyone gets to do the same thing. And so while our identity in Christ erases some of that, it doesn't erase everything. You know, you still have family. You still, you're still a Wilkie. I'm still a Harab. I'm still a Wilkie. You're still a Harab. <laughs> reverse that. <laughs> yeah, reverse that. Wrong way. Um, uh, and so that's that's kind of our individualism is we want to remove all identity we want to remove all shared uh, things that we have with people and that's anti-nature god made us this way for a reason god created these things and uh, again the lipscomb thing is kind of government is only a result of rebellion towards god this was not god's plan i've read his book and and he says a lot of good things but i mean romans 13 says what it says that every government that is in power was was put there by God. You read about Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel and the way God, you know, pulls the strings with with Babylon and Persia and all those things. And so we we have to get out of our 21st century individualist, isolated, atomized, living in our our own individual pods, separated from everybody, choosing our own associations. I mean, you look at the way we talk about family these days. We've we've talked before about how family gets run down big time. Thanksgiving, Christmas, you know, family are the people you choose rather than the. It matters who you were born into, and 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 your nation is is part of you. You know, it's other countries still call it your motherland, because there is kind of a and and this is again a Christian thinker thing throughout history. Honoring your father and mother was considered part of, you know, like uh, or or. Caring about the people around you was considered part of, of honoring your father and mother. We have really twisted that on its head and said it's really bad to get caught up in, you know, anything about a nation. That as a Christian, you don't have any identity with the nation at all. And that leads to Will's point of, you know, I, I just love everybody. That That's uh, sometimes an easy way out. Love well, the person next to yeah. you. 
it's it reminds me of you know when jesus is talking about like well i can't give to my parents i can't take care of my parents because i gave the poor right i gave to other and jesus basically like take care of your parents yeah like you're not you're not that's a great point you know any better because you're taking care of somebody else like you're do you should be taking care of your parents so yes i understand you're tithing to god and everything and that's fantastic but i think we take that similar approach but here's where i guess my well, real before, problem hold on to your, your next point with that sure. Using that hypothetical, if your neighbor needs $10 or he's going to starve, and then you see a commercial on TV saying somebody across the world needs $10 or they're going to starve, which one do you give it to? I would assume, and I think most people would say, I would go give it to my neighbor. You know, I'll give him $10 or he's going to sure. starve. Welcome to nationalism. I mean, that that is a degree <laughs> of this. Now, people don't like that the term can be used for that, but we're going to get to why that's important to keep terms the way they need to be the, the, the way they what make terms mean what they mean right and because we can typically sorry joe not to cut you off no, you're good. um again with the with the bad connotation point we hear nationalism today and we think hitler right. we hear nationalism we think nazism just keep in mind that is an extreme of nationalism that that is not that that is not the uh, complete nature of nationalism you don't automatically jump to hitlerism or nazism just by hearing the term nationalism. And I think that, again, to, to further your point about making sure that we establish definitions and keep them the way that they are, just, again, we'll go back to you here in just a second, Joe, but when you hear nationalism, don't automatically equate it with something that is as bad of a connotation as Hitler or the Nazis or Germany back in 19, the 1940s. That is the extreme of nationalism where you say our country is better than everybody else's, needs to be advanced at the expense of the other countries. Right. That's what happened in 1940 with Nazi Germany. That's not what we're talking about here today, because obviously anybody knows that's not something that's good. That's right. not something that anybody right. needs to be a, an advocate of. Right. Right. Can we, though, admit that America thriving has in the past, this is not always the case, but in the past has furthered Christianity around the world? Like yeah, when well, America I've is being said, we send a whole lot more missionaries than North Korea and Iran do. Uh, bingo. I mean, that's exactly my point is when America is thriving, when America is doing what America ought to do and being a Christian nation, if you could call it that, which is, is very, um, it's a stretch at now point, yes, <laughs> at, at this point, very much so. But I think a lot of Christians want to get back to quote unquote, the glory days as you might say, but more than anything, what that means to me is getting back to a place where we honor God. We recognize God in the school systems and everything else, which I think are broken, but you know, that's for another podcast or another time. But getting back to if we were the Christian nation that we used to be, um, I think it furthers the gospel. It furthers like with uh, our missionaries, with how many Bibles have we sent around the world? How many people are Christians today because America was thriving, was a Christian nation who had money and decided to send the gospel around the world? I I don't think— And because of the freedoms that America offers. Correct. So I don't think that can— be like pushed to the side and then like, well, you know, the church is, of course the church is more important. I'm not challenging that the church is more important. Our, our citizenship is in heaven, of course, but can we also, this is, I guess this is my issue is it's the either or approach. Like you can't, you can't have both. You can't be a very strong Christian who is, whose citizenship is in heaven, but also be a proud American who wants America to succeed because now they're tying it to white nationalism or, you know, like to, um, Oh, where were those riots? You know, with 
kind of the neo-Nazis type oh, thing. The Charlottesville they, thing, yeah. Yeah, Charlottesville <laughs> thing. Like they tie Christian nationalism to white nationalism, which again is completely different. But yes, America has helped the world quite a bit. And to see America succeed is a very good thing. And I'm a very proud American who wants to see America succeed because I do think it helps the spread of the gospel. Doesn't well, mean America is God's people. Um, the church is for sure, but the church can function better in a free state, in my opinion. The Christian nation thing is is a very interesting term because I, I really, you know, my writing is, is free to read. It's still posted online, and sometimes I kind of regret that. There's, you know, you learn as you go. But, you know, about Christian nation, I, I really bristle against that term, and a lot of us do. But, you know, that America is a Christian nation. Like, well, hold on. Look at all the abortions. Look at all the laws on, you know, like, and, and even at what we look back as the glory days, you know, there was segregation. There was slavery. There was, there was bad sure. things. And so people go, well, you're just whitewashing history. You're making it all great. No, there, there's plenty bad there. On the other hand, there's also a lot of good there, and, and it, it seems like there's a poll to go one way or another. Uh, to focus on, you know, the 1619 Project, basically that America is defined by slavery and racism. It is at its roots. It will never be anything but a racist nation. No, no. I mean, there, there's just too much good there. Um, you know, this is a nation that, uh, uh, without getting into all that, that's, an, again, another episode. On the other hand, there's the poll to go to the other side of, Basically, we're all good, and anything bad that happened was oops, or, you know, whatever. No, there was real bad stuff that you need to acknowledge. That's bad. That's part of if you want to be a Christian nation. The other thing that we haven't talked about yet in, in this that's really, really important that gets missed in in political discussions, as I said, we are so... Our, our view is so slanted by our individualism, right? That that we view the world through this 21st century individualized frame. The other thing is we as Americans view it through an American frame. That's the only politics we know. When we talk about Christian nations or Christian nationalism, and as Will said, the, the Nazi dominant, you know, I'm going to basically push myself all over other people. I think people think that's what you're advocating for with Christianity in America. Christian nationalism is what we should want for every nation. We should want right. France to thrive and succeed and the people to have a, a deep-held respect for God. Now, you're never going to have a nation where everybody converts. I get that. But that would be the best thing that could happen for France, is that their laws reflect biblical morality, that the people uh, take on biblical values, that, that for Zimbabwe, for Thailand, for, I mean, you go around the world and you think the best thing for that nation is Christian nationalism. Because we have all this talk about loving your neighbor. You know, loving your neighbor, uh, so many of, of the things that come out of, of a Christian nation, which is, uh, you know, protecting the people and, and, and fair living wages and uh, moral things where your kids don't have drag queen story hour being brought to their library and right. their schools where, yeah. you know, on Blue's Clues where they're having a, a drag uh, or a pride parade on a television program for three-year-olds. And and honestly, what people on uh, that are against the that, that push back on Christian nationalism are saying is we're better off now than we were before Blue's Clues put pride parades or Sesame Street held pride parades on... on uh, my my three year old's television programming. Are we now? It, it doesn't because then people will say, well, okay, if you fix that, and and again, as I've written before, if if you get those things off TV, you haven't saved anybody. No, but maybe you've you've helped. Maybe you've gotten closer. Yeah, because yeah. the environment that you are in pushes you in one direction or another, and right now it's pushing people farther and farther away from God. And and as again, with all the problems of the past. 
when America was not doing these things, you had more Christian people. Now America is, is accepting these other things. And this gets to the Romans 13 thing that we have to talk about that I think is, is kind of the assumption that gets missed in all this. We, as I said before, we kind of assume a neutrality. Uh, you know, we've got our religion, there's other religions, and we're, we're just going to try and do our best, but there's no, you know, anything else. Well, Romans 13 talks about, um, uh, verse 3, for rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise for the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. That's what a government does. That's what God places them in power to do. And you know what the thing about it is? Every government on earth rewards the good and punishes the evil. What's the difference between all of them? Every government does the exact same thing, or in principle does the exact same thing, rewarding the good, punishing the evil. What makes the difference in how that outcome is? Whether or not they subscribe to uh, biblical morals. Yeah, I would say, the value base. The value yeah. base. Um, you know, Nazi Germany was rewarding the good and punishing the evil. Well, to them, the evil was anybody who was, had Jewish descent. Um, and so we're going to punish them. Where did they get that morality base? Not from the Bible, not from God. And, and so you want your nation's leaders, and, and this is what Romans 13 is talking about. Our job is to submit to them. God's job is to keep them in line that they do that. And if they don't do that, they will be punished. They'll be removed. As we see, you know, in the Old Testament happens over and over and over. God expects nations to hold to his values. Well, now you've got Christian nationalism. Not not that they have to force everybody to be a Christian, because that's one of the other things that comes out of this is, you know, well, are they going to force people to go to church? No, but they're going to say this is good and this is bad according to God's standards. Because if they well, don't do it according to that, they're going to do it according to some standard. Jack, you think about uh, those those prayers that you so often hear, right? God, we thank you that we are able to uh, meet and assemble without fear of persecution. Right. Uh, you know, for we know that there's other countries where that's not the case. Right. It's those other countries that obviously don't have those same freedoms that we have that could use a dose of Christian nationalism. Right. It's those it's those other countries that. They, they don't have the same freedoms that we have. You know, again, you hear those prayers quite often. Thank, thank you, God, that we have the freedom to assemble. There's people that don't. And there's and those those countries, those people, again, the ideal scenario, obviously, this is idealistic, this is best case scenario, is that they do have those freedoms that places like the United States of America has to offer. Right. And, and you, you people will, will throw that out. The church does better under persecution. Sometimes, yes. You know, obviously there's plenty of biblical and early church uh, testimony of that happening. But as I said before, North Korea and Iran aren't sending out tons of missionaries. Uh, America is. America's sending out the large bulk of missionaries in the world, okay? And so, uh, you know, we're not better off when we have to hide and sneak and, and all these things. We're better off when we can openly just go out in public. But then you see, you know, Canada passing stuff about, uh, you know, hate crimes that if, if you preach... That, you know, if somebody's homosexual, they need to be baptized and not be homosexual. You can be thrown in jail for that. That's not better, uh, you know, right. and so, but then you come back around to the underlying philosophy of do, do we have any reason to expect governments to do these things? We do. That's what Romans 13 is saying is we have reason to expect. And, and what it says is God will take vengeance, but it, it's not, that doesn't mean it's, it's not wrong for us to expect that of them. 
And First Timothy 2 also makes it very clear at the beginning that we are to be praying for our leaders that we might lead tranquil and quiet lives. Right. Not persecuted lives, but tranquil and quiet. We are we are beseeching God to help governments be in a place where basically we can practice our, our faith and freedom. And evangelize. Seems, and okay. evangelize. I mean, the, the next verse is so that, you know, all men will come to a knowledge of the truth. Right. So with that being the case, you know, I think zooming out here for a second, the discussion kind of needs to be had of for those that are listening, in case you're, you're, I don't know, maybe agree, maybe you don't, um, something that I think we have to do and that everybody has to do is try to remove the emotion from this because I'm fully aware that by us kind of almost backing Christian nationalism, it sounds ridiculous and wow, how could you say those things? And when you remove the emotion from it, you are able to see that there are some positive aspects here. No, we're not backing January 6th and what happened and saying that's okay. Absolutely not. We're not backing, again, the worst, furthest extent extreme of extremes. Views, yeah. The problem is in modern culture, that's what is pushed, is the extreme views. And so we're simply saying, you know, as we look at this, yeah, as, as you talked about, Jack, every, every country, the world would be a better place if Christian nationalism were everywhere, in my opinion. Now, wow. the Christian nationalism, nationalism, as we're defining it, which is for a nation to take on Christian values and to believe that Christian, Christianity or Christian values are better. I, that's I what think God that expects held, of them. Yes, I was going to say. I don't, I don't see how you can. I don't see how you can view that as a bad thing. To so, be honest, right? You know, and and uh, where people say where the, where the church and politics mix, you get politics. Okay, where the church and politics don't mix, you still get politics. You know, enforcing its will on the, it, it is a reality of life, and I think one of the problems of these these other views is it's denying reality, uh, right. and, and this idea that we are uh, that basically. We have to exist as if the state doesn't exist, or you know, the idea that well, Christianity plus power is not good. Uh, and you'll hear people say all the time, "Jesus didn't come to take power; Jesus came to give up power." What was the last thing Jesus said on earth? All authority is given to me. Given <laughs> yeah, to me. Exactly. And, and when somebody pointed that out to me, it was like, "Well, he, he did say that." But the the thing that really <laughs> flipped things on the head for me is Psalm two where it's talking about the nations in an uproar they're they're taking their stand against the Lord and his anointed they're 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 going to fight back against God and basically God's going to shatter them God's going to going to crush them and that's where you get that that psalm that's quoted in the New Testament you are my son today I have begotten you ask of me and I will give you the nations he's giving Jesus all of the nations uh and and this is where your eschatology comes in what you believe about the end times premillennial people that, that believe that there's going to be the thousand years of tribulation and, and a lot of them believe in like the rapture and stuff like that. They believe that things are going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. God's going to rescue his people out here and it's just going to go into utter chaos and then he's going to come right. back and things are going to be great. Post-millennial believe that there's going to be this thousand year reign where things get better and better and better. That Christianity spreads and spreads and gains you know more and more influence throughout the world and then Jesus is going to come back when, when his you know world has been established most of the time in the churches of Christ, most of us, and I, I believe I am, would, would be amillennial, amillennial. A we don't have a belief of the millennium. We're living in the millennium right now, and so we don't really have a belief about one or the other. But when you run into these things, it's what do you think is going to happen before the end? Do you think it's basically going to be the world is a sinking ship and God's going to get his people off of it and, and win in the end? Or do you believe that the gospel is going to spread and things are going to continue getting better? Well, Psalm 2 does kind of have... Uh, uh, 
lean toward that of he's going to give him the ends of the earth as his possession. Um, but that's that eschatology is another episode. But the thing that, that really I'm coming to here is at the end of Psalm 2, verse 12, do homage to the son, or some versions will say, kiss the son, that being Jesus, that he not become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. That is what God expects of kings, presidents, all in authority, is that they would bow on their face to Jesus and say, you're the king, not me. You're in charge, not me. This other view of, of Christians and government, the, the idea of bringing Christianity into the halls of, of power says, if the president bows his face before God and says, you're the king, you're over all, I am submitted to you fully in all things, I'm going to govern as you want me to govern according to your standards, and that's not a theocracy, that's not making us follow the old law or anything like that, but just using God as your standard for law, this other view views that as the worst thing that could happen. Oh, Christians in power, don't mix. This is what God says has to happen or they will be shattered. We should probably be rooting for that, shouldn't we? And again, not just for America, for every nation. I want the Prime Minister of England to say Jesus is Lord. You know, Poland literally, in the last five years, held a, a, an election in their uh, parliament, and it is like nationally passed that Jesus Christ is the King of Poland. Wow, I did not no know way. that. No way. Can you imagine saying that's either. a bad thing? And so when you look at Psalm 2, that, that's the one that, as I said, I was a Christian anarchist. I said, you know, kind of the same thing. Christians and government don't mix. The government is one realm. The church is another realm. We've got our goals. They've got theirs. We are at odds with each other. And then you see this, and this is what God expects of them. Now, we as the church can't force them to do that, but we want to encourage it because it's what's best for them. Loving your neighbor, the president, would be to tell him, hey, God expects you to submit to him. You should probably do that. Now, they might or they might not, but we shouldn't look at it as a bad thing if they do. Anyway, Psalm 2 is a good one. There's uh, Jeremiah 29, talks about working for the good of, of the city that you're in. The thing that, that I get at in the article that really bugs me about this is most of the people, and I'm not going to name check anybody, but there, there's writings on this even in the Churches of Christ, Christian nationalism, that rip into the idea, talk about how bad of an idea it is, mixing Christianity and government and, and the idea of, of Christianity, you know, being important to America. These are the exact same outlets, and I'm not saying this as a hypothetical, oh, they probably think that. No, these are the same outlets that run articles all the time about how Christianity tells us that we should change the laws in America for social justice. Social justice, right. Critical race theory kind of things, which, again, I'm against racism as much as anybody, but there's some really bad ideas out there on these things. Isn't that a form of mixing Christianity and politics? Why is it okay to do it one way and not the other? And this gets to where I, I want to finish this episode. Why I think it's worth talking about is rescuing the term. Um, because... Sure. It's being turned into a weapon to use against any policy that is not in line with what certain... Okay, I don't want to use the terms, but we're going to use the terms. The terms are fraught. The terms have a lot of baggage, a lot of bad about them, but they are the terms. Right-wing and left-wing. Basically, if a Christian holds any right-wing policy views, oh, you're a Christian nationalist. Well... Maybe I am, you know, let, let's, uh, we can't let it just become a, a, 
a weapon to where anytime somebody says that, they've got this in their bag and everybody goes, <gasps> no, oh boy, right. Christian nationalism. They automatically have the upper hand because right. of that, yeah. Right, I mean, what what do you say when somebody accuses you of being a Christian nationalist? Uh, you know, no, 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 no. Well, now you're on the defensive and now you can't argue for, well, maybe we should do this. Maybe we really should fight a, uh, abortion. You know, maybe the Supreme Court did legislate that, that gay marriage is the law of the land, but... Maybe states need to do something about that. Maybe, uh, you know, accepting this insanity and, and uh, the speech stuff with trans pronouns and all the stuff that's coming down the pipeline, maybe saying, hey, we should try and maybe not let that happen. That's not Christian nationalism. That's God is ruling countries by his hand. This is what he expects. Punish the, the evil, reward the good. But that's what culture has come to is, you know, throughout the word bigot throughout the word homophobic and right. you know we're just Racist. all supposed to yes yeah. we're supposed to just bow down like you know just because you said it it must make it so if you call me a racist or if you call me a bigot then that must make it so even though that's not true but i've i've won and as you said jack now we're on the defensive but the you know in reading for this and, and kind of trying to understand a little more about christian nationalism and, and the way that it's viewed the time magazine article for me was I don't know if scary is the right term, but to me, it shows where things are, which is ominous. we're kind of in what's that ominous. Yes. Ominous. And we're kind of in a place that Christianity is taking a beating. And I feel like this is the new way for us to look at Christianity as, as you know, bad or as well, you got to be careful for those Christian nationalists. Okay. How soon is it that you evangelizing somebody is you pushing your Christian nationalism? Right. The same way that, that, you know, me, I don't know, like it, it's, I'm pushing white nationalism. I'm pushing Nazism. I'm pushing racism. I'm pushing all these other things because I evangelize somebody. I'm telling you, this is coming down the pipeline. And the worst thing is there are thousands and thousands of Christians getting on board with this horrible idea saying that, basically you know christian nationalism that's real dangerous that's really scary in certain contexts yes but when we blanket statement you don't think they're going to use a blanket statement the same way they're currently doing with every other thing like the bigot and the racism and everything else so as to win their argument this is what's coming down the pipeline so the reason why this matters to me that we reclaim the term change change the meaning a little bit behind what everybody else sees and really go back to what it used to mean is we're in for a rude awakening as as christians if we think that we can say christian nationalism is a horrible idea i see the way time magazine is writing about it i am telling you we will not be able to evangelize our neighbors without and this is already happening but it's going to get way worse where they're going to call us christian nationalists which is equated with nazism and everything else and next thing you know you're going to have zero ability to do anything as a christian you going to church is going to be exercising your privilege and is going to be you know white nationalism and christian nationalism because how dare you you know and put your church above a mosque or above whatever it may be like and you go well that doesn't make any sense they why would they do that because they're doing it all the time right. so yeah it's very scary it's it's a slippery slope i guess for christians to get on board with this white or this this pardon me you know christian nationalism is a horrible thing pump the brakes on that a little bit and and again remove the emotion and try to understand the nuance maybe of this difficult situation because the mainstream is using it for the the detriment of christianity is what i'd say well and and you think about again the equivalency that people are making 
you know, nowadays with cancel culture, the worst thing that anybody can possibly call you is a racist, right? Mm -hmm. You think about sports commentators, you think about, um, you know, people in the public eye who that is the number one thing. If somebody calls you that, you can kiss your career goodbye. And so they'll do everything in their power to avoid, you know, having somebody use that, the, that blanket term of that's just racism or, or that's well, your you white privilege. You can be controlled by it. You can be right, controlled exactly. by it. You know, somebody might call you this, therefore, you know, a bigot, racist. You need, you need to mean. not do these things. And I think, Joe, your point is excellent. The fact that, you know, it is very easy to see within the next, goodness, 5, 10, 15 years, not that far away, people using that Christian nationalism term in the exact same way as a just a blanket statement that you know immediately causes people to get defensive immediately causes people to be controlled by not wanting to be called that and so we're going to avoid doing certain things again you know you, you said it joe i don't want to repeat everything that you said that is the that is the next thing that's on our horizon if we allow this you know just blanket definition of the term without really parsing it without really saying hang on let's actually take a look at the definition rather than just allowing people to twist it manipulate it make it mean something that it's not it's great point. and that thank you i appreciate it, it. that's why this matters is right, what, right. what we're saying you know well, for those uh, listening you was, go what's a big deal that's that was why. one of the comments i got is it's a loaded term we need to abandon it okay but then what and and that what you're saying and, and will what you're saying about the terms being used to to control you know and, and push you into a corner is very much, oh, I'm not a Christian nationalist. Oh, okay, well, what do you believe? I believe this. Oh, yeah, you are. Uh, you're not going right. to escape it. And so, yep. you know, if if you think killing 60, 70 million babies is a bad thing and, and that maybe we should have laws against it, that Roe v. Wade should be struck down, for the people that need that term, uh, you know, as a, as a rhetorical weapon, you are a Christian nationalist. Right. And so your choice at that point goes one of two ways. You can say, I guess I am. Or you can say, oh, no, 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 I don't want to be that. No, anything but that. Okay, I'll stop talking about abortion. And you right. see this happen over and over. You've seen people give up the LGBT thing because you don't want to be that. You've seen people give, you know, and, and keep seeding ground because, boy, I, I, I really don't want to be thought of negatively by those out there. And and so, you know, that was the comment I got a few times. Can we just give up the term? Can we use something else? Well, what term are we going to use? And we'll because use Because they're going to use it against us. Right. Exactly. We know that right. for a fact. Right. It's it's you not the term it itself. Won't. And so you might as well grab the term by the horns, run it back the other way and say, yes, I am. And it's a good thing. It's a biblical thing. It's what God expects of governments. Because it goes back to that idea of, you know, God, the governments are going to reward the good, punish the evil. The most evil thing, you know, the, the things in, in our society today that they're punishing versus the things they're rewarding, you can look at it. There is a religion behind it. There's not a neutrality behind it. That's the thing we lie to ourselves all the time. I brought up a few times that there's a neutrality. No, there is a religion behind it. There's secular humanism behind it. There's these anti-God things behind it. It's not good. And so let's, let's you know, advocate for, because it's also part of the love your neighbor thing. If I'm letting a world, if, if, if we're on this march to where if my son gets up in a pulpit 30 years from now and says, and, and just reads through, you know, uh, Matthew 19 about marriage, if he reads through Romans chapter one about God gave them over to these perversions and these lusts and all that, and he gets thrown in jail for it and, and, and separated from his family and, and, uh, you know, things that are happening in, in other places around the world. And I could have done something to prevent it, but I didn't. How am I loving my neighbor? 
Mm. Right. They let Paul down the basket out of out of uh, Damascus. Right. You don't have to sit there and let it happen. Sometimes, there, if 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 it can be avoided and you can do good to to do so, do it. Well, and and from a common sense perspective, for somebody that's like, well, I haven't really read up enough on this. I, I'm not well versed in this subject. I've. It, it is very difficult for me to understand how you, you can take a look at certain issues, abortion, homosexuality, things that we can look at scripture and verify should not be happening, right? It, it doesn't make sense to me how we can take a look at those, again, abortion, homosexuality, those examples. We want th- those to change, right, for the good. If that takes place because the government changes laws, how is that a bad thing? If, if abortions, if, if homosexuality, if, you know, throw anything out there that is anti-Bible, that is anti-biblical, uh, anti-God, we should want those things to change for the good. If that takes place because of the government, that's not a bad thing. And I think that's part of the, the misunderstanding with the term Christian nationalism. Well, government shouldn't be doing anything with that. You know, th- again, those things should be totally separate. Maybe. But to say that, though, you know, the abortion and, and the things that we see that we want to change, to say that, that we should avoid the government changing those at all costs doesn't make sense to me. We should want those things to change regardless of whether or not the government's pushing it. And if it is, great. We get so much sense about this, this stuff about, you know, uh, we, can, we can outlaw abortion, but it doesn't change the heart behind it. We should be trying to convert all of these women rather than changing the laws. Like, I would love for them all to be converted. We should be trying that. I mean, uh, you know, Will, I think you've taken part in, in standing outside the Planned Parenthood there in Nashville. I know your dad's done a, a lot of that, mm-hmm. you know, of, right. of praying with women, trying to keep them out of there, trying to, to, to teach them about Jesus. It's a great thing, but we don't deal with that otherwise. Man, I, I wish there was no murder, but we shouldn't have any laws to stop it. We should we should <laughs> right. try and, you know, really get to the heart of these people. That we doesn't change the heart of the murderer. Right, and, and, and this is, again... Punish the evil, reward the good. That's what the government is supposed to do, to protect. Make it to where you can live your life in, in safety and peace and tranquility and peace and quiet so you can practice Christianity, you know, and, and evangelize, all those things we've talked about in First Timothy 2. Um, if if that makes me a Christian nationalist and if, if that, you know, word, that, that boogeyman word is going to be used, okay. So be it. You, yeah. Just yeah. accept it. And, and again, even the people who are... So against it aren't as against it as they they think they are. Uh, they you know they they advocate that our Christian our, our nation should have such and such laws and should change in such and such ways because and that's my point yeah yeah you know, right it, because they, and they throw out the social justice buzzword right. right everybody's got a value set everybody thinks that value set should be applied why not the one of the one who actually rules the whole world and will hold people to account to it but I think the biggest thing and this is I guess we'll finish here because it goes toward what Joe was getting at with, uh, you know, people not seeing the play being run, the Time Magazine thing of how this is what they're going to start turning back on Christians. We need to do an episode on this, and, and I think we will at some point. You need to realize, and, and the Old Testament uses this phrase, it's a very valuable phrase, that the king surrounded himself with men who understand the times. Hmm. Either you do or you don't. Either you get mm-hmm. the play that's being run against Christianity, against uh, liberty, against all kinds of different good, positive things in society, or you don't. And if you don't, the people that don't are going along unwittingly as tools of those you know, who will, uh, who will use these things against us. They are, are helping pave the way for that. Don't be that guy.
No, and it's Emperor's New Clothes, you know. Nobody wants to be... We want to be friends with the world is really what it comes down to. We want to... No, no, that's not me. That's, you know, no, I don't believe those things. We want to be accepted by them. Exactly. Right. These people don't care about you. They hate you. We are to be hated. We, we will be hated by the world. We know that as Christians. And, you know, as you were talking about that, Jack, the understanding the times, you know what understanding the times is today? Conspiracy theorists. What we have to get away from, what we have to get away from is being afraid of terms. That's, yeah, call that's me, another call phrase. Me you, yeah. Call me what you want. I don't care. Call me conspiracy theorists. Oh, I can't possibly be one of those. So what? It, you know, Christian nationalists. Well, I'm afraid of that too. We're afraid of so many terms. Homophobic. We are on the defensive all the time because all they got to do is throw out one tiny little phrase and they know that it, it melts us. Stop letting it melt you. Okay. We're in the phrase back. Exactly. That's what we're looking to do here is reclaiming and, and re, um, I guess, really going back to what Christian nationalism used to be. And so what I would say, you know, for our listeners is, don't be afraid of the terms. We know the world will hate us. They are not our friends. We can't engender ourselves to them by by accepting these or by cowering in fear if they call you a conspiracy theorist because you understand the times. You know, you see these things that are happening. Um, you know, if they want to call you a Christian nationalist, take it back and say, okay, okay. And what does that mean to them? Well, it means that if you push any Christian morals in any way other than living your individualized self, you're Christian nationalist okay, then call me Christian nationalist. No, that doesn't, what they're going to do is they're going to push you to, oh, so you support the January 6th riots. Oh, so you support, um, you know, Nazism, neo-Nazism, you support white nationalism, you support racism, and they will always push you to the very nth degree and say, well, you support these things. No, reclaim the term. Well, Absolutely, I don't support those things. The, the biggest thing is that we like easy debates. We like, you know, emotional Things where, where, again, you can drop one term and it's over. Mic drop, the whole thing's over. These are, issues aren't easy. This is not child's play. This is stuff you really have to think about. You have to read your Bible. You have to pray about. You have to converse and, and come to an understanding. You know, I've been working on my understanding of government my entire adult life and am still changing, growing, evolving because, I, you know, you want to be pleasing to God and you want to advocate what he advocates. And and this idea that you can come in and, oh, I use one term, mic drop, it's all over. Oh, I, I guess you're just with the January 6th guys. Don't be that guy. Have nuanced discussion. Realize that things are not as, as simply one as, you know, a line at a time. You know, there we, we've got to think through these things and think, what would God have us do? And that's the whole point of the Think Deeper podcast is, all right, here's this thing that you've heard about or, or these things people are talking about. Let's actually think a little deeper about it. Yep. Let's go into this and see. And, and so with Christian nationalism, take the term back, you know, and, and explain it as just basically, and this is how I, I define it in the article. Uh, as I said a minute ago, we'll, we'll wrap up because we're running short on time here. Nationalism is just the expectation that a, a nation's rulers will do what is in the best interest of that nation. Not, you know, imposing on everybody else, not you know, imperialism or any of those things, but just what's in the best interest of my people. That is not a controversial thing. That's common sense. Yeah, I mean, the governor right. of Texas has no business sitting at home thinking, how can I make life better for the people in Illinois? That's not his job. But we think right. that the president of the United States has that duty to everybody in the entire world. No. Uh, so, number one, uh, the, the rulers of a nation are elected for the people under them to help improve their life and protect them from the evil punish the the bad praise the good 
the Christian side of that is that the value set for the, which they should use to accomplish that is the Christian values as set forth by Jesus. That they are expected to kiss the Son, do homage to the Son of God, or he will be angry with them. How is that bad? It's Right. It's, <laughs> right. Now, again, there's a lot of bad things that people mean when they say Christian nationalism. Yeah, say, I'm not for that either. I'm for this, the classic definition that Christians have held for about 1980 years, essentially. You know, I mean, it's, it, it really is. I mean, as far as I can tell, this is the standard definition through most of Christian history. One, one thing I'll add to this again as we wrap up, um, there is a tendency, no matter what issue it is, to if you have held a stance before in your, in your um, past, Again, this is just human nature is that if you've held that stance, you are going to defend it to the nth degree, no matter what new information comes out. I'm going to challenge you as, as a listener, if, if that's if that's you, if you're somebody who has held a particular view that you're not budging on whatsoever. I want to applaud people like Jack, for instance, Jack, I know you you said you were a Christian anarchist um, not that long ago. Your views have changed. Your study of God's word has uh, enlightened you to, hey, maybe I didn't have that 100 percent correct. And so, again, I want to challenge the, the, the listeners, if, if you are coming from a stance of, well, this is just the way it is, this is what I believe, and I'm going to defend it no matter what new information comes out, no matter what I study, that's not a good thing. I would in, We would encourage you to be willing to, to change. Open-mindedness is not a bad thing. It doesn't mean you're always looking to change your mind, but it means I might not have this 100% figured out. Study The study of God's word might reveal some new things for me. New information might come out that's not a bad thing to, to go back and to change maybe a view that you've held forever. Yeah, and, and that, that's a great point. And if you disagree, you might come out of this and go, no, they're just totally wrong. That's cool. I, in fact, I've got a friend, uh, you know, I, I think he's going to write something up, which I, I hope he does. He's a really sharp guy, a really great writer, uh, disagreed, and, and I, I want to see what he has to say. What I know he's not going to do is go, oh, you're just siding with the January 6th guys. Oh, you're on the road to Hitler. Don't do that. You know, it... it we, we need to be able to have these disagreements, uh, and when we do disagree, you know, as you said, have an open mind, and if you have an open mind, you come and go, it just doesn't add up for me, I think the scriptures say this, articulate your belief, but we've got to stop strawmanning each other, you know, and yep. and, and I, hope we, I hope we haven't done other. with people yeah. that, that disagree with us, that some of the uh, ideas we've, we've cited, yeah, I disagree with their... Uh, commitment to critical social justice. I think that's bad. I think it's on a path that is not good for us at all. On the other hand, I know they're just trying to do what's pleasing to God in, in, in the way they see it. Uh, and so as Christians, we have to be able to have these discussions. As you said, have an open mind. If you come to it and you still disagree, okay, but do so because of, of reasoning, not because of emotion, not because of buzzwords. Joe, uh, any, anything to close us out there as no, we've kind of gone around the table? No, I just, I, I love it. I think that's exactly right. Um, I don't have too much really that I would add to that other than it, it's, yes, it's difficult to do that. The easy thing is the straw man. The easy thing is the character assassination. And you touched on this point, Jack. Don't don't settle for the easy thing, <clears throat> excuse me, these days. Like, go for the gusto, as they say. Yeah. Sometimes it's it's going to be, it's difficult to study this other person's point of view when you vehemently disagree. Um, 
do them you know, have enough respect for your fellow man and i want to do the same thing here this mm-hmm. is why i went and i read a ton of articles that i completely disagree with but i want to know their side right not just to be able to pick it apart but truly on the merits of it what does their side say now i still disagree with it and that's my right and, and like you said people can disagree with us but have enough respect for your fellow man to try to understand to put yourself in their shoes where are they coming from Right. Are they really an, an evil white nationalist, Christian nationalist jerk who believes in, you know, that's the easy thing to believe. And you can go and, and sleep fine that night and look yourself in the mirror and that's fine. But you know what? Do the hard thing. Try to understand where they're coming from. Try to remove the emotion from it and say, could there be something else that's here? Um, it's it's going to be if you go to research this and you Google white nationalism or I keep mixing it too. I apologize because <laughs> they got mixed so much in the articles. Right. would equate them but if you google christian nationalism i can basically guarantee you that the first probably dozen pages on google are going to be negative articles negative things nobody's going to be looking at take the time to try to dig into maybe your own beliefs on this try to find some positive spin on it see if you agree see if you disagree just you know we we can get so caught up on one side of it let's try not to do that i want to be that i'm i'm working on that myself that it's easy for me to just look at something I disagree with and go, well, that's stupid. Uh, but somebody believes it for a reason. And maybe it is stupid, but I need to respect them enough to find out what they actually believe and why they believe what they believe and to not call them names and, and to bash them and to straw me in their argument and everything else. So um, I realized that's, I said I had nothing to say and I said that. But <laughs> anyway, as we wrap up, um, yeah, I would just encourage her. You don't have to agree with us, as Jack said you do not have to agree with us. We fully understand that. And we respect that. Um, I would just say, you know, try to do some, some research for yourself. We, that's something I'm going to continue to do on this subject. Uh, Will made a fantastic point about, we want to be people who grow. We want to be people who think deeper. That's the point of this podcast. And, um, but we just appreciate you listening. If you made it to this point in the podcast and, and for allowing us to have our say. All right. So before we wrap up, uh, we finish our weekly segment. What have you been preaching, teaching? Uh, what I need? A, we need a title for this segment. I know we got to come up with something. Maybe you some should. bumper music. No, I don't know. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> I went first last week, so we're gonna go with Joe this time. What you got? Ah, um, been teaching through James. Just started. Just started the book of James. Great and um, something. Oh yeah, something that hits me um, is those parallels. And I remember learning this in Bear Valley. And the more you look, the more you see the parallels between James and the Sermon on the Mount. And that's just always fascinated me that James is pretty much making the Sermon on the Mount, even though Sermon on the Mount is very applicable, but he's making it very applicable to early Christian life. And the thought is that James is the first book of the Bible, excuse me, the first written book of the New Testament, um, chronologically, you know, somewhere in there. And so this is for young Jewish Christians who have not been Christians very long. And he takes them back to the Sermon on the Mount and just makes it very applicable in daily life. And there's so much wisdom to that. And the, you know, the other thought is that it's, it's kind of the Proverbs of the new Testament, just a bunch of sporadic, um, I don't know, just sporadic pieces of wisdom throughout. Right. And when you start to really connect, why does he move from one to the next? It just opens things up all the more. Um, it's the same thing with Christ, Sermon on the Mount, the way he transitions from one to the next. So I encourage people, dig into James. Try to find the the parallels between, you know, Matthew 5 through 7 and, and the book of James. Um, it is a fantastic book with a lot of good wisdom in it, but also just a lot of good practical 
advice for how we ought to treat one another going back to the words of Christ um, and through the brother of Christ there. So that's kind of my quick that's rundown. Cool. I'll go very next. Interesting. What's that? Go ahead. That's a very interesting. Yeah. Uh, so I've been doing a question and answer box. I think I've mentioned before uh, people have been dropping in. I want to know about this. And uh, previous to that, and I've been going on and off through the book of Mark, and we just kind of finished the middle of Mark, which is very much Jesus hitting the discipleship and taking up your cross and following him. And I preached through that, felt good about it, and I got a question in the box that said, what does, um, what does it mean to take up your cross daily? And it hit me that like we as as preachers, maybe those of us that have been steeped in the Bible, maybe you grew up in the church or whatever else, you hear these terms, you kind of know what it means, you just assume everyone knows what it means. And I just didn't think like, I can't just throw that out there and, and you know, say, all right, we got to take up our crosses, guys. Okay, so what does that mean? Uh, and, right. and so what it does mean is, I mean, obviously it's an instrument of death. It's dying to yourself. And so it's it's to your own desires. In your marriage, you've got your own way. You really want your own way. There, there's that selfishness in our own heart. You die to yourself and say, i got to do it Jesus' way. You know, uh, I've got to put others above myself. I've got to serve. I've got to, you know, do as he would have me do. Uh, in the workplace, you got to die. You have to say, I want mine. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to get my own. You die to yourself, and in in uh, uh, your your in your mind, your thoughts, your your speech patterns, the the way you are as a person, you have to die. And you know, as as Galatians two says, is you know, I've been crucified with Christ. I think that's the the best way to get it. Is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. It's every day putting a little more of yourself to death, so that a little bit more of Jesus comes through. And so that's what I'm going to be preaching on this week. But more than anything, I was just fascinated of that that question came out and and it's a reminder i think to me and, and to all of us in ministry break it down don't don't be worried about going too basic because sometimes we got to get back to those foundations rather than assuming rather than building on a foundation that maybe hasn't been set yet um really explore what it means because I, we all need that it, it's it's where good bible study starts is to ask okay what how what does that mean it's great it's good great great um and that kind of ties in what I'm going through teaching right now, which I, I want to bring up something else. It's just kind of my personal study, but we're teaching uh, some fundamentals of Christianity right now at Decatur and acts of worship is kind of what we're going through. Um, you know, not just what are the acts of worship, but why do we teach it that way? Where is it in scripture? Why do we, um, again, believe that those are acts of worship? So not a lot of new stuff there that I want to get, uh, get into mine that is just kind of in my personal study and I'm going to do things a little bit differently. I'm going to ask y'all again, I know we got to do this quickly, but ask y'all y'all's opinion. I'm in Acts 15. Uh, I've been studying through Acts uh, over the last several months and the, uh, not the circumcision question, I'm not going to get into no, that, no. but the, the, um, <laughs> the uh, John Mark, mm-hmm. when John Mark leaves Paul and Barnabas in Acts 14, um, you know, they're right. Uh, why do you think, and again, this is not going to be anything that I've, learn this is just opinion want to see what y'all think why do you think john mark left because you, you clearly see in acts 15 paul is bothered by it right paul it, it upset paul he's like you know we're not bringing this guy with us um you see barnabas obviously wanted to we learn in colossians that they were related uh, i think it was that they were cousins what do you think it was that caused john mark to uh to just say you know what i'm gonna head back to jerusalem head home it clearly wasn't something that was understandable because again it upset Paul. Paul's like, we're not bringing this guy with us again. 
what do y'all think? Any any take on that? Again, it's in Acts uh, thir- or 13, sorry, not 14, Acts 13, 13, that John Mark actually leaves. Right. And then the conflict that takes place is in Acts 15. I know right. we had to do this quickly, but what do yeah, y'all think? I mean, quickly? And it comes off as a desertion of, hey, we're working right. together, we, we're, we're on a team together, and you quit the team. Uh, and, and I get that. I mean, if you've ever been a part of something where you're really leaning on each other and somebody just up and quits – uh, you know, it, it the the trust it's is destroyed. Yeah. It's, it's deflating because I mean, you think about how lonely, how on their own, how all they had was each other, and and of course Christ in those missionary journeys. And so, for somebody to to prove that they're not up to it, I mean, and it's hard work, mission work. Um, I I have not lived on a mission field. I guarantee it's very hard work. Uh, especially the travel, the persecution they were going under. And uh, I think uh, this is all speculation. I, I think for Paul, it was, if you can't take the heat, stay out of the kitchen. Yeah. yeah. That's thoughts, my thought on it. No, that's my thought on it is it kind of got too real for Mark. Like it was just, it was too much and he couldn't really handle it. Uh, you know, that as, as Jack said, it's difficult being a missionary now in 21st century. I cannot begin to fathom how difficult that would be for them with everything they were going through and for Mark to maybe, you know, I always took it as just burnout. Yeah. He just got burnt out. I I don't know if that's exactly been scared, could have been burnt out. Who knows? Yeah. 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 And it could have been, could have been anything. So that's just my personal thought on it. Um, and it's, yeah. it's all speculation, and that, and that's the reason I wanted to ask. It's just interesting because you know we we highlight that conflict, we highlight that division quite a bit, but you know to get down to, I wonder why it was that he, that he left, and you know Paul calls him out in a positive manner later on in one of his letters. It's escaping me which one it is, um, but it's very interesting just to see that dynamic of conflict within three what seemed to be very uh, influential church fathers. So right. what's even more interesting is getting into the difference between holding a grudge and being angry and upset. That's what's always fascinated me yeah. is did Paul hold a grudge with John Mark in not allowing him to continue because him and Barnabas split. That's when he takes right. on Silas, right? Right. And then it's a forgiveness so, issue. Yeah. Right. Correct. So was Paul in sin for not immediately forgiving? And I think we have a very big misunderstanding of how forgiveness should come out. That's a different discussion. We'll get into that later, but hmm. um, we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll do a podcast on that. I was about there to say, you know, <laughs> I think go. we've created about eight new episodes within this one episode, <laughs> Probably. Uh, but all the more reason to subscribe, uh, check us out on your podcast app. We this starting with this episode, you'll, you might be seeing this on YouTube. Uh, we'll be putting them on YouTube again, podcast app. Uh, I know some of our listeners are not podcast app people. Um, go to focuspress.org. A pop-up will, will show up, uh, giving you the chance to subscribe by email every Wednesday, roughly mostly Wednesdays. Uh, you'll be getting an email from us with our latest articles, but also the podcast every week where you can listen online on your computer, however you want to consume it. It will remind you that they're up. And so the best way to get us is your podcast app. Second best way is to subscribe at focuspress.org to our emails. Be sure you've got that. So you don't miss anything. I believe, uh, we talked about off air next week. We're going to, uh, start in on a Christian theology of death. Um, that should be a very interesting discussion. Um, very, yeah, it, it should be one that, that's pretty challenging. So uh, be sure to, to come back for that. Keep an eye out. Uh, if, if you are using a podcast app, leave us a rating. If you're on YouTube, be sure to like and subscribe. We would prefer five stars. Yes. You know, it's whatever. You yeah, a, fi- a five-star rating. Uh, Will know. will personally send you $20 to Amazon if you give us five stars. I will. That's right. Will's going to send it out. Um, of course, I guess I was the billionaire last week, remember? So, yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. right. He's got a billion right. dollars in the bank. That's yeah. right. So, um, But yeah, leave us a review, like, subscribe, and we will talk to you guys next week.